It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You know what I want. <laughs> Not Samsung, Craig. Not Samsung. No, I want to Hey, that's pretty good. 134 to 93, the Raptors beat the Canes, Cairns, Taipans. I know I'm supposed to say it a certain way. I believe it's Canes. Um, they said we couldn't do it, and we did. We watched the whole game. It wasn't the best that, you know, it's not the best basketball anybody's ever seen. But if you watch like an NBL game, you know, it's not the best basketball you've ever seen either. But at least the, the competition is at least kind of in lockstep with one another. And I know that we're supposed to, maybe with Clintman, or maybe they're supposed to be kind of like an additional, like interesting there. You know, it's Australian basketball. They play with the FIBA dimensions, or it's like, you know, maybe it is for, you know, a couple draft fans or like, ooh, Clintman, I guess we'll see what Bobby's up to. This wasn't particularly good as far as like entertainment. The Raptors, they easily, you know, figure out how to defeat the Canes Taipans. It's not the most compelling basketball. Did we figure anything out about these Raptors in watching them? Ugh, I'm not so sure we did. I'm not so sure there was much to be learned. I know, like, I, you see on Twitter, just to keep up with what the, the fan base thinks of things, I try and kind of pay attention to Twitter a little bit while I watch games. Some people were encouraged by the Raptors' three-point shooting. Some people were encouraged by some of the ball movement. I'll say this much. In the first game of the preseason, you could see with Jakob Pertolin, very, they made a very pointed effort to run some of the stuff through the high post to work through some of the actions that we hadn't seen that much of in years past. This game was just like free flowing kind of whoever gets the ball might as well have, you know, have someone come set a screen for you, see what you can do in space. Maybe there's, it's not like they have scripted cuts. Everything is a read. Um, you know, if you collapse and get a tag, the two guys on above the break on the opposite, the weak side and the corner, who's dragging, you know, who's dragging that third defender in? Are you trying to space out if there is no tag? So your, your roller and your ball handler have room to navigate the paint. It's like basic basketball. And it's, um, it's not like a super, super big deal that the Raptors did some things well and didn't do other things that well. Um, they won't play a team this bad for like a, a long, long time. So since there wasn't a much to glean from this game, we might as well go to kind of the, the talking points from the commenters early on. So from GCJ, what is the point of having low quality international teams coming? NBL is not a good domestic league compared to Spain, Turkey, France, Italy, etc., etc. On one hand, Real Madrid is coming. On the other hand, you have Canes in a second division Israel team playing NBA teams. How does anyone benefit from these 40 point votes? Yeah, it's... um. It, it's not the best place for the NBA teams to be, but the NBA has a vested interest in growing the games globally. And the guys who play for uh, is Maccabi is the Israeli team, Real Madrid, Canes. 
for the guys who play for these teams, I guess it's an opportunity to kind of show themselves on the um, against, you know, NBA teams with a bunch more viewers. It, it is in the spirit of growing the game globally. And um, that's kind of what I think. Yeah. Um, from Jabron Lames. Nice. <laughs> the return of the transition offense is so refreshing and Scotty is dominating in transition. Yeah, Scotty is absolutely dominating in transition. The return, uh, I don't think it was ever missing. The Raptors transition offense, they ran it a ton last year. And obviously a game against an NBL team is not supposed to be an indicator of future success. But against the Kings, we can rehash some of that. Scotty was awesome in transition. I wrote a little bit more about it. But yeah, um, you can go to RaptorsRepulp.com for a write-up on it. But Scotty was so, so good in transition in that game. He's so good at finding the lanes for big men and making those passes there. I talked about this before, but Pascal is a guy who typically makes the play from interior to exterior. And Scotty's really good at making the plays from exterior to interior, really threading those needles to guys for layups. If you can give a guy a layup, it's a really big deal. They're obviously a lot easier to come by in transition than they are in the half court. That is something that Scotty is developing in his game, of course. But yeah, um, just focusing on Scotty in transition. I don't want to dig too much in it in this game. He obviously was good. He is so unbelievably physically imposing to a lot of the guys on the Taipans. And it's also an NBL team. But this is something that stays static against NBA teams. It was evident from, you know, maybe not the first first game he played in the NBA. But the second game against the Celtics, I'm sure a lot of people... Is it uh, the R isn't silent? That is just imitating a broad Australian accent. Okay, so Cairns, I heard Matt Devlin saying Canes the whole time, and he wasn't doing like the, oh yeah, it's Canes, mate. Like he wasn't doing it like that. So my apologies to the the Australians whose valor I've hurt in doing so. Cairns, Cairns, um, this is the the chat is going to differentiate the the reaction podcast listeners who do it like on their walk. And they're like, okay, I'm ready to listen to the game. Meanwhile, I'm doing like ADHD chat reading, of course. But okay, noted, Cairns. Um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to see what happens with, you know, the, the transition offense has obviously been very good. Um, against the Kings, they were one of the worst defenses in the league last year. They don't really, um, I guess, you wouldn't say they're going to be really good this year. You probably wouldn't expect that. And an NBL team, um, there, there's some bruising aspect of NBL play for sure. I talked to um, Steve Clifford about this last year when we were talking about Lamelo Ball's development, and he said, you know, it's tough to get shots off sometimes. They have the FIBA dimensions. They play a little bit closer. It's a pretty bruising league. You could also see that um, – he said Melvin, if you did that, good. Um, you could also see that the Raptors a little bit on some of those, like, box-out situations, the guys on Cairns, they could throw their weight around. That's kind of what the league – the, the less talent and like high-end athleticism exists in the league, the more there's going to be room for the grittier guys to make their way through it. And the NBL is a really good example of some grit can get you a long way. And so in the open court, trying to contend with the Raptors, a team that not only is an NBA team, so we'll be better at it by default, but a team that has like put their money in their mouth, like, hey, we got to get out in transition. Oh, my days, man. It's going to be a bloodbath. And for all intents and purposes, it was. Okay, so they hit threes, right? OG has 10 points. He hits three threes. 
Scotty hits two threes. That's good. His first three, quite nice because you see him warm up and you see him go through his kind of, you know, how he's getting ready for games. You see what he's moving through with his trainers. He's a pretty low pickup on his three, and he's a really slow release. Something he'll work on, but he currently has a very slow release. It was nice. The first three he made in this game, the pickup point was up by his chest. Usually he's around his hip, sometimes even lower, right? So that really shortens that release time. And, you know, again, it's a game against an NBL team. But a high pickup, you know, catch high, keep high three for Scotty Barnes is a good thing if it comes in an empty gym against an NBL team or against an NBA team or in the NBA finals. You know, you take it where you can get it. Um, Pascal was just kind of ripping through there. They, they didn't really have the capacity to stop him in isolation. As I said at the start, this wasn't like... Uh, if, you, if you're watching this game and saying, I, I don't really see how this offense is different from what Nick Nurse ran, you'd, you'd be correct. This was very loose. They, they weren't girdered by anything particularly like, oh, yeah, we've got to move here. There's tons of cutting. We have a lot of framework to the offense. No, they're mostly just getting up the floor. And Pascal, like an easy 12, 7, and 5. Some of those assists come in transition. Some of the shot making comes in the half court. You know, Scotty, 14, 5, and 4. They just ripped through these guys. Schroeder. You know, he got blocked on one three, but he's kind of just like, and he got front rim on the other one, but he's just handling the ball, putting it in the hands of the wings when he's like, okay, they have a good opportunity, let them push. And he was just kind of like putting his finger on the pulse of the game every once in a while, see how it's going. Um, Chris Boucher, same thing with the Kings. You know, preseason games are just a great place for Chris Boucher. If, if it's an up and down game, um, he can beat basically any big man in the world up the floor, save for like five or six guys. Um, and he continues to do so against NBL teams. He'll run the floor. He'll try his best to space it. He'll he'll be in the mix, and goodness, he was in this game. But it's just these guys are really good players. We're going to see if they perform to their talent level in the regular season, of course, but this also is like an NBL team. Thad, once again, 9-7. and seven. They had some pinch post action, and so pinch post is where Basically, you'll bring two guys to an empty side. You'll get an, uh, a post up for Thad. You'll throw the ball into them, and the guy who throws it in will go to the other side of the court. So it's like you have a one-on-one, half of the court to yourself in isolate or in a post up, and that's a pinch post action. And they used to do that with Thad last season when they had Siakam injured. They ran like a ton of pinch post stuff for Thad. And so that was interesting, like a throwback to some of the stuff he saw in Indiana and a lot of the stuff he saw in Chicago. And in this preseason game, we saw it. It definitely dwindled as the season went on last year, but we saw it a little bit when Siakam was out. Um, Gary, just going through the motions, doing his thing. Um, Scotty only had four assists and five turnovers, still passing out on mismatches. So if you're interested, I broke down every post-up Scotty did last season. And like every single one, I went over it. You can go to RaptorsRepublic.com. It's called Bully Barnes, every post up, every Scotty Barnes post up. And so Scotty actually had really efficient numbers against cross matches. And he didn't pass out of them very often. And there's a lot of film breakdown there. And so he was like over 1.1 points per possession. He had 115 cross matches last season. I, w- I go through all that kind of stuff. And he doesn't usually pass out unless he gets doubled. And he only drew 17 doubles all of last season on post-ups. As crazy as that sounds, um, he passed for an advantage 14 times out of those 17. So 
I have, if you're interested about Scotty, you know, taking on mismatches and stuff like that, maybe you're talking about big man mismatches. I'm not sure. But as far as like smalls in the post, there's a huge deep dive. I just did into it. If you want to go read that. Um, what was the Alvin Devlin awkwardness in the second half? Honestly, I, I got to be honest with you. The game went on mute after the first like four minutes. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I was listening to a, you know, a podcast about leather working. I, I have carpentry in my history of things I do. So that's I was listening but while watching the game, trying to take on two things at once. So I don't know what the, the awkwardness was. My apologies. And um, I think Fred was further ahead developmentally at the same point. But Marquise's playmaking has so much potential upside. Fred was five inches taller almost. That's like a Fred is a little bit taller than me um, just from time spent with him interviewing and that kind of stuff. And I'm a little bit shy of six feet. Um, and Marquise, when I interviewed him in Vegas and I was talking to him, he's not 5'8", he's probably 5'6". Uh, those dimensions really change everything. Uh, Fred is farther ahead as far as like a, a jump shooter. He's got more weight on his body to kind of push guys and be sticky at the point of attack and help really navigate screens because you've probably, most people who are listening to this now, you've played some basketball and you know that when you're setting a screen on somebody, when the big guy was coming around the screen, he, he opened you up like a turnstile or she opened you up like a turnstile a lot easier, right? And uh, the slimmer people, typically it's a lot easier to hold your ground. And so Fred had a way easier job navigating uh i think um, a lot of these actions defensively and marquise he'll have to keep up with that defensively there's a big deal and then yeah like five inches height completely changes the complexion of all the different passing reads you see and then also because your height real and basically your how high your shoulders sit and your release points as far as an overhead passer it really changes the dimensions of the passes you're able to make because for every inch you zoom out, it creates like a, a percentage or a degree of angle you can take off or put on a pass. I don't want to get into the mathematics too much, but it, it it's a very big deal, um, the change in, in height, which is also why a lot of people correctly are like, we need the ball in Scotty's hands. It's why Darko says, you know, there's a huge advantage to putting the ball in his hands. That's why when I looked at every single pick and roll, I made sure to pay really close attention to their their rip screen, the rip zoom STS. And um, so because Scotty can throw these these dart, there's no arc on them, these passes. So all that kind of stuff is a really big deal. And Marquise, he's like a total wizard, especially on the lateral passes where he's keeping the ball low and getting around, um, you know, the edge of a screen, swinging those hook passes to rollers. Like he, he really is a fantastic passer. It's just he's going to have a really hard time weaponizing what he's good at at his smaller stature at the NBA level because guys are closing out into his space really quickly. And um, he'll get used to the speed, but I think he is going to um, – I think he's definitely going to spend a decent amount of time in the G League, and hopefully he does really well there. I do understand why people are kind of wondering why Doughton is so low on the – I guess the the chart why he's not coming into games that does confuse me a little bit as well. I was surprised when Doughton wasn't signed through the rest of the season. I thought it would have been something since he had been around. He had already played, you know, all of the games that he was legible to play. 
and the Raptors didn't sign him through the rest of the season. It didn't end up saving them any money. They didn't sign him in the summer. And like, he's with the team now, but he's on like a, it's the contract he's on. It doesn't really guarantee him anything. And I guess we'll see what happens. But even just being around the team for that long and playing like the hitting the 50 game threshold or whatever, I would have liked to see him be rewarded by the team with a contract that would have been money for him that is really meaningful and would have been an absolute drop in the bucket for the organization. They didn't give him that. Some people said, oh, this means they can sign him to whatever deal in the summer. That didn't happen. He's still on like a no liability contract um, right now with the Raptors. So it's just, yeah, it's it's a tough situation. He's good. Doughton is an NBA guard. Um, I, I've covered him a little bit in the at the 905 level. I watched him play against Scoot Henderson. He was one of the best guards Scoot Henderson played last season. They had an awesome game before Scoot got tossed out of that game in uh, Mississauga. And Jeff is a guy who he was a little bit like timid to get his mid-range game off at the NBA level because you don't want to use while you're trying to make the NBA. You don't want to go to the the lower percentile shots. You don't want to be a guy who lives in the mid-range or anything. But there were times he passed up shots and he was a little bit timid, but he was still like, because Fred didn't have a good season at the point of attack. Jeff was probably the Raptors' best point of attack defender, at least not better than OG, but at the guard position, he was better than Gary last season too. And he just didn't, you know, he makes okay reads as a point guard. He's not, you know, he's not going to drive you crazy or anything. And the shooting, as far as like the, the catch and shoot stuff, he did fine enough. It's just NBA teams are looking like, what can you do that really makes us want you on the team? And um, they just, it's it's been tough for Jeff to get any traction. I, I'm pretty disappointed with it because I do like his game a decent amount. And I think he would benefit from a little bit of security because security means that you get to play a little bit more free. And I think most people, and at least the chat and most people who I talk to, seem to recognize, or we think we recognize, that there is um, a little bit left on the bone for Jeff to get into as far as how he approaches the NBA style. And he looks a little bit reserved, possibly because he's trying to play mistake-free basketball. Everybody and their mom knows when you try to play mistake-free basketball, you're not playing your best. That's just not the way to do it. And um, that's, that's the Jeff stuff. I'm pretty disappointed. I think he finds his way if it's not with the Raptors. But I, I'd like it to be for the Raptors. Also, Javon Freeman Liberty. Um, it's I really like Javon Freeman Liberty. I wrote about this in the summer, but I think he has the best shot among the you know end of bench guards. Um, maybe not Malachi. Maybe not better than Malachi because Malachi last season he shot the ball pretty well, and you know it, shooting is going to be at a premium on this roster, especially if they can't sort out injuries before the season starts and that kind of stuff, I guess we'll see. But um, Javon Freeman Liberty, he was just like a terror in the G League. He was one of the best guards last season. He's impressive at Summer League, and he's just like, he shoots the ball pretty well. We have to see it happen at the NBA level. Banking in a three tonight isn't going to convince anybody, but he's super athletic, right? He's got a quality handle. He can get downhill. He can finish in air over top of guys. And I I like his game a lot. Um, I haven't heard anybody vouch for him being like one of the better defensive G League guards. And 
I've I've only seen I think like five G League games of Jungon, so it's tough for me to say. It's easier to get a sense of somebody's offense than their defense. I think in in a short amount of time, especially for a guard like Javon, who has a lot of the ball on offense, you can see a lot of reps really quickly. And defensively, guys might be involved in plays. They might just be like attentive off ball hanging on. So it's it's tough to say. Um, I should talk to you know, whoever covered him at the G League level a little bit more for that. But it depends if he factors into the team. These guys are all competing for spots. I guess we'll see. It should be pretty interesting. But at the, at the very least, Javon is on a two-way, I believe. And so Jeff does not have that benefit. Jeff just has to make the team outright and sign an, an probably a minimum NBA contract. So, or they could shuffle two ways. You know, there's not really much of a, I guess, a, a monetary penalty for teams to shuffle two-way guys. So, which is also why I thought it was ridiculous that they didn't sign Jeff at the end of the season. You would have just given this guy like heaps of cash. That means nothing to you would be everything to him. And you don't do it. Why? He worked out with the team all summer. He was with them at summer league. Bro, give him money. It means nothing to you. This is, yeah, anyway, tough, tough deal. Tough scene for Jeff. Haven't liked it much from the organization's point of view. Not much of a fan of that. Um, Makur, Mohamedou, uh, I, <laughs> Mohamedou is, this game wasn't as big a deal for him, obviously. He kind of popped off last game, and this wasn't the one for him. Makur, it's like, these guys are not going to factor in the team, but they probably are going to be effective at the G League level, like the 905, depending on how the roster shapes up, because these guys are really long, have great motors, and will continue to impact a lot of things defensively, provided they stay out of foul trouble. Offensively, these guys are willing cutters. They Maybe a three-point shot goes in every now and again. I know like Mohamedou took quite a few at Summer League, and you see what happens from there. You just hope they bring a lot of pop defensively so that your glut of guards like Ron Harper Jr., Marquise Noel, Javon Freeman-Liberty, these guys have rollers, cutters, and guys to pass to, and defenders to kind of incubate them so that you can play more competitive games. They, they play really great roles. Uh, Grady, hit a corner three. Very nice. Um, oh, here's a question. Is there a limit to how many years a player can have a two-way contract? I don't think so. Um, I haven't heard anything like that at all because, you know, two-way contracts are better for teams than they are for players. So I don't think they would limit that since it's like really, there's not much, teams are very happy to hand them out and kind of be like, okay, done. If a player just keeps signing a bunch of two-way contracts, I don't think there's anything that says they can't, to be quite honest with you. But if there is, my apologies. Um, someone says limit is three seasons. so. They know more than me about this. If it is three seasons, then um, Jeff, I think, had two years as a two-way with Orlando and then with the Raptors. But um, I could be wrong about that. I don't think so. Regardless, um, the the G League team is shaping up to be a pretty good G League team. Uh, I don't know if Coloco is going to be in the fold there, but they're going to be pretty rangy. They're going to play pretty athletic. And they might, you know, there's lots of shooters in the G League who shoot the hell out of the ball who might, they might end up on the team. They might just rotate around these athletic, crafty guards and kind of hit shots. Um, something to keep an eye on, obviously. As far as um, McDaniels, Grady, I think most people, that's kind of the players people would be interested in at this point. McDaniels, 
slippery on offense as far as like slipping screens, getting into space, making things happen. It's nice to see a guy kind of, I guess, stick and move with the offense because it's um, it's tough, right, to just come onto a new team. You're not a ball handler. You're also not like a guy who gets the ball tossed into you to make something happen. You're also not a guy they're giving the ball to at the top of the arc to run like high post stuff through. So he just has to kind of like shake and move and see what happens. Um, getting to nine points again, hitting a three, having a little bit of impact, being rangy defensively. I know the point of attack stuff hasn't been um, hasn't been totally great, obviously. It certainly wasn't against the Kings, but something to pay attention to. If he hits threes this year, he's going to get minutes on the Raptors. Um, it's a competitive rotation. They're going to have tough decisions to make, and some of it will be like, you know, do we put Grady out there initially or do we make him earn, you know, is his shooting important enough? Where do we go from here? Do we try and play like those big wingy lineups? Does Thad get a decent amount of minutes? Does Is Precious healthy enough for the start of the season? Is Coloco healthy enough for the start of the season that we go big? There's like, there's decisions to be made about what the bench looks like. Obviously, Chris Boucher is a guy who he's won bench minutes for a lot of years now. He's won a ton of minutes. He's going to factor in. Gary's going to factor in. Otto coming back healthy, you have to think with his pedigree, both as like a a positionally sound defensive player and as like a really quality shooter and like one of the best um, offensive rebounding wings, even just rebounding in general wings of the past decade, he has to figure into this rotation. I know that was a question I I screwed up on because I was just trying to think of everybody at the top of my head when we did the live stream after the first preseason game. And um, obviously, I forgot to mention Otto. I would want Otto in the rotation for what it's worth. But uh, you'd have to assume he gets minutes. To focus on Grady a little bit, he had that really slick hook pass in transition, hook bounce pass. Um, He does a great job of reading the floor. I'm kind of just rehashing what I said about Sacramento, but he's not popping off in a really big, meaningful way. He's making those progressive reads that we know he makes that he made at summer league that he made in his draft workouts with the Raptors and other teams. This is something I've talked about scouts with for a few months now, if anybody's um, paid attention to the draft coverage or the summer league coverage around that time, Grady has always been really good at reading the floor as a defender. He makes a lot of great decisions, but the feet are a little bit slow. Um, It's, you know, it's tough. The shot he's yet to have a good shooting game. Like he had the last game he played in summer league. He shot really well in that first quarter, but overall, he hasn't had a good shooting game as a Raptor yet, but he has significant pedigree as a shooter. He can hit a lot of difficult shots, and he hits a lot of shots above the break. We just have to see this happen at the NBA level. It's tough for a rookie to adjust. The line is different, even though he shot pretty well from the, you know, the people track like, okay, you made a college three, you made an NBA three. Grady was a guy who there's not supposed to be worries about him hitting NBA threes because he hit quite a few from that distance when he was on Kansas anyway. But um, it, it it's it's interesting to see how his shooting will develop from the time he gets into the league and what the floor is from the moment he, he gets in. Because shooters, sometimes it can take a little bit, especially with that comfortability to get to that spot. Um, here's a question. What is my win prediction this year? You ask everyone, but I haven't heard yours. I got asked this uh, on the latest pull up Trey podcast. Trey and I both both put out our predictions. I think 
like anywhere from 40 to 46, I'd be like, good enough. Yep, good season. I Carl Fowler here saying 50 wins. And um, it, it's it's really interesting. Man, hmm. I don't know how high the ceiling is for this team. 50 wins seems like a lot to me. And there are some people I've seen people say like as low as like between 27 and 32. I'm certainly not in that camp. Um, I think I would be pretty impressed if the Raptors managed to clear 500 basketball. I'd be like, hell yeah. And I would really enjoy covering that team. Um, predictions, I think they beat their Vegas over-under, which is 36 and a half, 37 and a half or something like that. And yeah, I guess I guess we'll see. Um, from Phoenix Play Z, this is a lottery team in all honesty. The half-court offense is atrocious. They would have to be in the 99th percentile in transition offense to make up for that. So this is something that everybody should be paying really close attention to. The half-court offense against uh, the Kings was 96 points per 100 possessions, which was 1.5 points per 100 possessions better than their regular season numbers last season. The thing about that, though, is they were playing the Kings 1, and it was the preseason. Typically, teams are going to score more in the preseason, so that's not really a good barometer, but those are the numbers if you're interested in them. I am not optimistic about the half-court offense, um, so we'll see. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Our half-court offense last season was atrocious. That's fine. That doesn't have to make sense, but these these are the numbers. I'm trying to couch them in the context that they're supposed to have. Um, yeah, I'm not super optimistic about the half-court offense. They are going to be operating out of a broom closet quite often, and their best players who don't naturally shoot the three ball very well are going to be, and who really do well when they get to play in space, um, particularly one-on-one, we're thinking about Scotty here. We're thinking about Pascal. These guys are going to be looking at pack line defense quite often, and they're going to be looking at um, shaded defenders very, very often. This is really, really going to impact their ability to make easy plays for other others and their ability to take, you know, makeable shots. This is something I talked about with, um, you know, in that Scotty piece I mentioned where I tracked all of his post-ups. Something about Scotty completely dominating a lot of his cross matches this season, but only seeing 17 doubles all year. Uh, teams didn't have to double Scotty very often because they didn't have a shooter at the other, you know, they didn't have a shooter in the front court. So that front court defender gets to hang out by the paint one step away. So they don't have to double, but they can meet him in the middle and contest a shot while also not losing anything by sagging off their defender, right? And also, they can guard if he drop steps baseline. It's, it's, and they don't have to commit to a double. So there's no advantage really being created. It's just Scotty or Pascal really beating their guy one-on-one, but being rewarded with a rotation and a, you know, a weak side zone from the defense on the backside that doesn't really give up anything. It takes time to beat guys one-on-one, it takes time to make these advantages happen. They end up at the back of the shot clock. Guys have to create at the back of the shot clock. There's just a lot of like, there's a big, big spacing thing that the Raptors are going to have to navigate. I'm very interested to see if they're able to do it. Like super, super interested. I would love to see that because if they are navigating that little of spacing, we're looking at a team that is playing really unique basketball. 
I, I have no doubt. Like, they finished 12th in offensive rating last year. I hated watching that offense. You hated watching that offense. Everybody hated watching that offense. They still managed to get 12th. And a big part of that was the run they made at the end of the season. And I know people don't like me mentioning this, but the pick and roll offense with Fred and Jakob was really good by the numbers. Maybe you didn't like watching that. That's okay. But it was really good by the numbers. They ended up finishing 12th. I still didn't like watching it. I'm not, am I like hurt that, uh, you know, Fred isn't leading the team offense anymore? No, I think they lost. I consider Fred a good player. I know some people disagree. I'm okay to disagree on that and, and not be rude or angry about it. But anyway, I think they lost like a good serviceable NBA player. I don't know what they'll do to fill his role. I'm excited to see what it looks like. But I also don't think that they replaced him to the degree that they fix what was going wrong offensively. And if they do, then I think we're all learning something about basketball because all the scouts I talk to league-wide are not expecting much out of the Raptors' half-court offense. Um, some of the coaches I talk to, well, all of the coaches I talk to are not expecting much out of the half-court offense. They can still, because their defense should be really good, my goodness, they should be able to get out and run enough. Maybe they get into the top half of offense in the league, and they have the, they have the guys to play at top five defense this season. Those two things, because the original question I was asked about you know, how many wins? I think you play top five defense, you can clear 40 wins. Here's hoping they do, because it's a lot more fun to cover a team that plays good basketball and wins games than it is a team that doesn't, especially since the Raptors, they are a younger team, or they're about average the league-wide, maybe a little bit younger, but they don't have a bunch of like blue-chip prospects for fans to get super invested in. They don't have, um, or other teams to kind of check in on and be like, oh, this is really interesting. Um Am I concerned about Coloco's lack of status? <sighs> yeah, I am. I had a good conversation with Christian when I was down in Vegas, and he didn't expect to miss more than Vegas. And he was pretty disappointed to miss Vegas. And so, I mean, man, it's. Uh, I thought he would be ready for training camp. I thought he'd be ready for the season. I think Christian had a great. It wasn't. He didn't get a massive amount of games. But I think he had a great rookie season for a big man who got selected in the second round. Like, that's, um, yeah, that's tough. Pamper Me Network says Raptors win 51 games easily. I will go as high as 56. I imagine you said the same thing last year if I recognize you correctly. So maybe we'll go one for two there. 56 would be incredible. I'd love to cover a 56-win team. I'd love to watch a 56-win team. 51 would be incredible. These are really, really high numbers. Um, that would be just like absolutely awesome. Could you imagine how much fun that team would be to watch? They would run and gun unbelievable defense. Yeah, that would be something else. Um, yeah, but we'll see what happens with this team. It should be interesting. They have stuff they have to navigate. <laughs> 82 wins last year. Good, good. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm doing a bad job of, uh, yeah, Christian was really impactful defensively in his games last year. Totally. He, the Raptors, they won his minutes. Winning minutes isn't everything in the NBA. There's a lot of context that needs to be added, but it's never a bad thing. It can't be the full answer, of course, but it's never a bad thing to win your minutes. And my goodness, my goodness, Christian won his minutes. From Phoenix Plays E, hypothetical question, you pop Kyle, prime Kyle on this team. How much do you change your win prediction? So this is really good, right? This is like a great question. 
Kyle is the ultimate conductor. He's the ultimate organizer. This is also why I said that Nick Nurse offensively was a Kyle Lowry merchant. When the Raptors traded for Kyle Lowry, guess what? Their shot chart went from terrible to just having Kyle Lowry on the floor, prime Kyle Lowry. He is going to have you like top five in rim attempts. He's going to have you top five in three-point attempts, and you're going to shoot well from both places, almost regardless of who else is on the team. He's a wizard with the basketball. He organizes offense incredibly well. And that's why Rondé Hollis Jefferson, for example, even though it wasn't prime Kyle, just had the best year of his career because that's who you're playing with. And Kyle always figures out how to find the weak spot of the defense on the floor. And my goodness, if prime Kyle was on this team, then that 51 or 56 win prediction, I, I might put a little bit more stock into it for sure. I just, yeah, prime Kyle is such a wizard with the basketball. And obviously DeRozan was my favorite player on that team. I, I, I still thought Kyle was the better player, but yeah, Kyle, he can prime Kyle Lowry. He can make things go. He really, he's just wonderful. I, he was a cool player to get to watch in his prime for that long. And they want a chip, man. I know I'm kind of going into like, wow, you know, how fun was this team? But how cool was that? What a, yeah, basketball in Canada, really. And we got a, we got a bronze this year, man. Really cool. Okay, I think I've talked about most of the stuff I'm supposed to talk about. Maybe some people wanted like a more aggressive recap of the game. I got to tell you, there's not much meat on the bone here. They like they played Cairns. You know, this is a team that has a couple ex NBAers on it. Has a couple guys who are going to try and make it to the NBA via the draft, but they're not playing very competitive basketball here. And you know, we didn't see much here that the Raptors are actually going to try and apply in season at least i don't expect and um it was a a fun enough game for what it was and they spent about four minutes of airtime sharing the screen equally between monty mccutcheon and the game i just thought that was so crazy that they spent an equal they gave half the screen to monty mccutcheon while the game was on if that if that doesn't tell you what the quality of this game was. I don't know what does. Um, I'm going to take the time after this podcast to record um, a video essay on the post-up film and numbers, the piece that I wrote on Scotty. So for anybody who um, I wish you would read, I wish you would subscribe to Raptors Republic. I really would. But if you're not into that, um, I've compiled all of the stats from all of Scotty's post-ups this past season. Uh, I have a bunch of film. I have all the stats that um, are relevant, and you'll have a video essay on that in either tomorrow or the day after. So for the people who prefer to watch their basketball content instead of reading it, um, something to look forward to. So, yeah, it's um, I'm looking forward to covering this team this year. They're going to do some things differently. Um, Cairns is not a good example of what they're going to try to do, but thank you to everybody for popping on. Do I recommend getting a Synergy subscription? Not not if you're not if you're not, you know, writing about the game or not as far as just being like a fan, I don't think you need one. Honestly, I don't think it's that important. Um unless unless, you know, because I know some people do, you really like to argue on Twitter, having a synergy subscription uh can give you some numbers really quickly that you can throw at people. But that isn't what I'd do, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I I always try and get the numbers and contextualize them with film. 
Um, that's kind of funny. We'll see you on Tuesday with the Bulls. For the fans of the Pull-Up Trade Podcast, Trevon Heath will be joining me on the live stream after the Bulls game to talk about that game, which should have a lot more tangible information for what this team is going to be, even though it's still preseason. Caveat supply, of course. Um, yeah, that's a podcast, I feel like. I'll see you all in a couple days, hopefully. Once again, thank you to every for everybody for popping in. I'm new to the live stream game, um, but it's you guys ask awesome questions throughout. Um, really interesting opinions. You guys talk like basketball at a good level. Uh, I couldn't ask for anything better. So thank you to everybody for popping in. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. We'll see you. Bye-bye.